Good morning, everyone. Happy Palm Sunday to all of you. Let's start that over again. My voice is all crackly and now it's a little better. All right, you ready? Good morning, everyone. My name is Stan Mast. I'm a retired Christian Reform minister. After 41 years of doing that, I became an adjunct professor of preaching at Calvin Theological Seminary. I want to wish you all a very blessed Palm Sunday, very unusual one, of course. No children shouting Hosanna, no palm branches waving, no thronging worshipers in the sanctuary, just me here in an empty church and you there in your living room or at your desk. We're going to talk about Palm Sunday this morning in a, a different way. You know that all four Gospels tell the story, and the Gospel of John does it in a way that I think is uniquely relevant to the moment we're in right now in the history of the world and of our country. I'm going to be reading from John's account, the Gospel of John, chapter 12, and I'm going to focus on verse 27, which I will try to highlight when I come to it. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Now, at first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere Look how the whole world has gone after him. Now, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew, and Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come. For the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. And now here is the text. Now my heart is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. 
Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. This, my friends, is the word of the Lord. Let us all give thanks to God for it. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, as you walked into Jerusalem that day or rode on that donkey and people shouted your praises, we pray that we will experience you coming into our lives today so that we can give you praise even in the midst of all the trouble around us. Inspire us by the power of your spirit so that this word will ring in our lives and produce a faith that trusts you in the most troublesome times. In your name we pray. Amen. My friends, it's, it's really kind of a dumb question, isn't it? I mean, the question that is the title of this sermon. It comes from the, a great old hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? Well, of course, there's trouble everywhere. Before coronavirus came along, there was trouble in the streets and trouble in the alleys, trouble in your home and trouble in the school, trouble with finances, trouble with illness, trouble in politics, trouble in international affairs, and now we've got this. And the trouble seems overwhelming. Poor old Job, the most troubled man in all of history, put it, for all of us when he said, mankind is born to trouble as surely as the sparks fly upward from a fire. William Shakespeare captured the wildly different ways in which we humans respond to trouble in that famous soliloquy of Hamlet, to be or not to be, that is the question, you all know that part. Then he goes on to say, whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune or to take arms against a sea of troubles and by opposing end them. The two options that most people follow. To simply endure the trouble in, in stoic silence. Or to battle the trouble. Taking arms against the sea of troubles. The two options. Although if you know that speech by Hamlet, you know that he was considering another option. One that many people fear is going to become increasingly popular, the option of despair, the option of suicide. At the far opposite end of the spectrum of how we respond to trouble is the counsel of Jesus Christ in John 14, verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Now that's the response to trouble that I want to ponder with you this Palm Sunday. The old song says it well. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows bear 
Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Now, of course, that's easy to sing. In fact, we'd all love to be here right now singing it at the top of our lungs. Easy to sing, but the hard reality is often very different. Indeed, the presence of trouble often feels like the absence of Jesus. And if the presence of trouble continues, sometimes we're tempted to run away from Jesus as his disciples did in the Garden of Gethsemane on Monday, Thursday. Indeed, the simple faith of that old hymn about taking our troubles to Jesus can evoke the bitter response I'll never forget from one of my parishioners way back when. Yeah, right. What does Jesus know about my troubles? It's a good question. I'm glad you asked. Because our text in John 12 gives us a fascinating insight into the troubled heart of Jesus. It's the end of Palm Sunday here, arguably the best day in Jesus' life, and yet at the end of that wonderful day he says, now my heart is troubled. The word trouble there means all shook up, literally. His heart, his mind were all shook up. He was distressed, troubled to the point perhaps of confusion. Why was he so troubled? As I said, it's Palm Sunday. It's arguably the best day of Jesus' life. Those crowds thronging about him as he came down the Mount of Olives, into the brook Kidron Valley and up again, shouting Hosanna, affirming his messianic kingship, Hosanna to the King of Israel, Hosanna to the Son of David. Even his enemies, his bitter enemies, had to admit the whole world is going after him. And then there came the world in the person of those Greeks saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. And his own announcement in verse 23 the hour has now come for the Son of Man to be glorified. After months of saying, the hour has not yet come, months out in the hinterlands getting ready for this moment, Jesus has at last come to the moment toward which his entire life was pointed. And yet here at the end of this, the best day of his life, Jesus says, now my heart is troubled. Why was he so troubled? Because woven through all of that bright triumph and telling us the deeper meaning of it all was the dark thread of tragedy. Jesus knew how how superficial were the praises of the crowd. He knew that his enemies among the Jewish leaders were even now plotting his brutal death. And he knew that the prince of darkness grim was going to do everything he could to keep God's plan of salvation from succeeding. 
Jesus knew that Hosanna would quickly become crucified. And the best day of his life would soon become the worst. He was under no illusions about his life. In spite of the apparent triumph, he knew that trouble was ahead. And it was that mixture of, of triumph and tragedy, of, of sunshine and darkness, that threw even his great divine heart into distress. How does he respond to the trouble? Now my heart is troubled, he says, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Does he look up to heaven and say, Father, let me out of this? Does he run from the trouble? It's a very human thing to do. It's what I would do, probably what you would do. Whatever you have to do to avoid the trouble. If you, if you have a chance to stay out of trouble, who would walk right into it? Either a fool who doesn't know any better or doesn't care, or a hero who knows exactly what will result from walking into the trouble. Jesus was a hero. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason that I came to this hour. What was the reason? Well, let me explain that to you by taking you on a little trip. A trip I took a number of years ago when I visited the Holy Land. I'm guessing that a number of you have taken the same trip. It begins on the top of the Mount of Olives. Jerusalem across from us in the west, across the Brook Kidron Valley. Shining in the morning sun as it's risen at our backs. And we take the first step down the Mount of Olives on that winding road that Jesus took, past the place where, where Jesus wept over Jerusalem and its stubborn inhabitants. And then further on down to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus would again wrestle with his Father's will on Monday, Thursday. And then all the way down to the bottom of the valley of the brook you have to literally crane your neck to look up and see Jerusalem high above on the mountain. And then up that steep road that leads up the mountain on which Jerusalem is built, through the Golden Gate, Jesus' entry into the Golden City, onto the Temple Mount where Jesus cleansed the Temple, and then through the city to that cursed hill of Golgotha, on the outskirts of the northwestern edge of Jerusalem. From one mountain to another, Jesus journeyed through the valley of trouble. Why did he make that journey? When he knew very well what trouble it would bring him. Well, I could explain that a lot of ways, but there's a little verse tucked into Hosea, the prophet Hosea, second chapter, 15th verse, written to people who were experiencing or fearing exile in all kinds of trouble, 
And God says to his troubled people, I will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. Achor means trouble. I will make the valley of trouble a door of hope. That was the reason Jesus did not run from the trouble but marched steadily toward it. That's why he made the journey from mountaintop to grubby Golgotha. I will make the valley of trouble a door of hope. I will walk through all the trouble of human experience. I will submit myself to all the attacks of the kingdom of darkness. I will take on the evil one himself on his own turf in the valley of the shadow of death. I will suffer the ultimate trouble of death and hell. And when I finished my work down there in the valley and up there on that God-forsaken hill, I will be glorified when I rise from the dead and rise into heaven and reign over all things for the sake of the church. And when I am lifted up, I will draw all men and women and children to myself even through the valley of their trouble. By doing all of that, I will make your valley of trouble into a door of hope. For this very reason, I have come to this hour. Is there trouble anywhere? Yes, everywhere. Jesus knew it knew it so well. Just, just a few days after Palm Sunday, Jesus was facing his disciples for the last time in that upper room. And as he stepped out the door, the very last thing he said to them, as he prepared to walk to Golgotha, he said, in the world, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Which means whenever you find yourself in trouble, Jesus is there to lead you through it and as the one who's overcome the world to turn your valley of trouble into a door of hope. Which means that because of Jesus, trouble is never the last word in your life or in history. No matter how deep and dark and long the valley may be, there is hope. If you stick with Jesus, he will walk through that lonesome valley with you and turn it into a door of hope. Let not your hearts be troubled. Trust in God Trust also in Jesus. And that's really the last thing I have to say to you, a simple, simple invitation. Trust Jesus.
It's easy to do when you're standing on the mountain, the sun at your back and Jerusalem shining in all its golden glory. The test of faith comes when we walk through the valley of trouble. Can we trust him then? Will we? Of course, we shouldn't go out of our way to find trouble. We ought to do everything we legitimately can to avoid it. But there come times when we have to walk through the trouble because we're disciples of Christ. Whoever serves me must follow me, he said in verse 26. And where I am, my servant also will be. And that includes sometimes the valley of trouble. The question is, will we keep following? Will we trust Jesus even when our hearts are troubled? My friends, if you can't trust him, who can you trust? He's the best friend you'll ever have. Amen. Let us pray. To think, Lord Jesus, that you, the Lord of the universe, are our dearest friend, boggles our imagination. And so we pray that you will use this scripture to remind us of that deep truth so that we may trust you in this terribly troubled time of ours and bring us through on the other side through the door of hope that leads to glory. We pray this in your glorious name. Amen.